Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Plus Dave podcast, the Tottenham Hotspur themed show brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. Except for the second week running, we don't actually have Dave on the show. I assure you, he is returning. He's just on holiday. So before too long, we will have another episode with Dave. But unlike last week, we also are missing Joe this week. So prepare yourselves for a particularly intimate episode of just two of us this week with myself and Elio, who joins me at a little after eight o'clock on Monday evening, the 4th of April. As things stand, we are about 10 minutes into the Arsenal game, which is obviously going to play some factor into the podcast. And we're going to be keeping half an eye on that as things progress. But we are, of course, going to be talking about our result, which happened yesterday against Newcastle, a thumping 5-1 victory, which was very exciting for all of us. And I can't wait to get in to talk about the goals. So to help me do that, I will welcome my ever-present guest. And in fact, the only man who has now represented the Plus Day podcast in every single episode, a bona fide plus day legend, Elio. Elio, welcome. How are you doing? I'm very well. Early premonitions of this becoming the Elio show seem to have actually <laughs> come true at this point. I've, we were joking. I've outlasted everybody. Yeah, it wasn't, well, I was it wasn't joking. meant to be serious. I don't um, know if you were. Oh, nope. I thought I was. Um, <laughs> it appears that Dave has given us the same sort of consistency lately that his lead sides have given us this season <laughs> so if he's not careful maybe we should give him the Bielsa treatment <laughs> I think we can give him a few more rounds to be honest he, he's deserved a break we've been pretty harsh to him recently I think we, we probably owe him a little bit of a holiday to be honest so a couple of games to talk about but I think the one that's going to take up the bulk of our time is definitely going to be the Newcastle game which was a mm. lovely result you were there it was uh, one of those occasions where you didn't mind the three hour four hour drive Let's talk about that. How did you find things on the whole? You can't really complain about a 5-1 win, can you? Everything about it was <laughs> as you'd hope it would be against yeah. a side that are weaker than you in the table. I mean, it really shouldn't have ended up any other way, and it didn't. I think a lot of Spurs fans, myself included, the second Newcastle went ahead with them having defended very, very stoically for the first part of that match. I mm. think we all thought to ourselves oh God, this is going to be one of those games where we get sucker punched against a team that we've not been able to break down and now it's going to be even harder to break down and we're going to go home with a 1-0 defeat. We've seen that result many, many times as Spurs fans against the Stokes and the Boltons of this world and mm. that's how Newcastle were playing. They were playing they were. like an Allardyce side, like a Pulis side and mm. it made for some nerves because my mindset before that was Eddie Howe team, going to be nice and open. Hopefully we can slice through them and first half that did not prove to be the case yeah you were expecting a repeat of Everton in many ways which obviously the scoreline suggests it was but it was quite a different game do you think that's fair though do you think this is just years of supporting Spurs having ground you down I know we've had a couple of results this season that back up that idea but do you think perhaps this Spurs side is showing a bit more mental fortitude because I don't know if it's changed since I sent it around, but I sent you guys a link to what would be the table of points won from losing positions. It was either from losing positions or from having conceded first. I can't remember, but the points mm. is the same. And we were, I think we were third, and that might have even been before that game. I think we would be top of that particular list now. So do you think potentially we need to have a bit more faith? And by we, I mean you. 
in our side <laughs> to come back from, from going 1-0 down? Because it will happen. That won't be the last time. I'm sure we'll concede again because there's always going to be corners. There's always going to be free kicks. Do you think that this side mentally are made of a bit more than we were earlier on in the season? It's proving to be the case, but until you see it in action, it's very hard to feel settled about that particular notion. And it's yeah. one thing sort of seeing it in action once or twice, like repeatedly regaining the lead against City to win it at the death or coming mm. from behind twice to then beat Leicester or something like that. We saw that once or twice, but then we also saw the Wolves in the Southampton results and the United defeat the other day as well. And it dents that, but now we're seeing it consistently. That's now five wins out of six. We are now coming back from behind regularly and we are the better team in pretty much every game we play and it would be hard not to have confidence in this team based on what we're seeing at the moment. I think we're probably not quite there yet. I mean, I was chatting with Sox yesterday and we were talking about how back in 16-17, you could almost tell by the first five minutes of a match whether or not we were going to win or lose. And if we came Mm. out and we were on top, which was mostly the case that season, you just knew we were going to find a way to win that game. And teams that were in the bottom five or six that season, we did actually regularly put four and five goals past them. And even when we did very rarely go behind, you very much felt that we would overturn it. And we usually did. So we're kind of getting back to that now. We're not there yet. We're not as good as our 16-17 side yet. Mm. But Conte has definitely instilled something in them. That means they don't give up. And he's getting the best out of the players. I mean, he's getting players to perform each of them 10-15% better than pre-Conte. So he's either got them to their natural level and they were severely underperforming before, or he's found something that didn't previously exist. The truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. Just curious, a bit of a tangent, but since you brought it up there, player for player, do you think that that 16-17 side, Pochettino side, were clearly better? Do you think? Because I just want to know what the difference is, if that's all it is, if you think it is just better players, or if there's something different about the way we play or about the approach we take. It was better. I mean, listen, I think Benton is going to be really, really good. And in many ways, there's things that he does which improve our play compared to what Dembele used to do. But that side Mm. did have a prime peak Dembele next to a top form Wanyama. And Mm. now it's Benton who we hope can get to that level, but we're not sure. And Hoiberg, who we probably know is kind of a six or a seven most weeks, but not quite that imperious player that those two were. Yeah. backs whichever combination we have are not as good as Walker and Rose were that season well Rose for the first half of that season Ben Davies as a left wing back the second half that season playing very very well the front three of that season was Deli at his absolute best Kane Mm. pretty much Pete Kane and Ericsson at his peak as well so so it's really hard to compare and the defence then Mm. as well had a younger more quick off the mark Lloris it had Vertonghen and Alderweireld with Dyer instead of Davies and Romero though admittedly I think Romero you could already make an argument that he's as good as Alderweireld based on what we're seeing at the moment I mean certainly a player that we have to talk about in that game because I've seen a lot of people putting him forward for man of the match and there's a lot of fuss about him on social media as there has been pretty much since he came in and we're going to get to talk about individuals as well and how we won that match and why we ended up running away with it in the end I want to take you back to the lineup because it was for the most part 
what we have come to expect, but obviously the wing back mm-hmm. situation was a bit different. And I know you will be the first to admit you were a little bit apprehensive about seeing, as you described it, two positions weakened, having you know, Emerson coming in, who's not perhaps been the most effective player, Doherty playing out of position, albeit someone who's been very good. Mm. You're not the only person who would have had that reaction. I think we all were a little bit nervous seeing those aspects of the team, but it's hard to really criticise Doherty after a game like that, isn't it? Do you think now, if you see him in the left midfield, left wing back position, you're going to trust him now? It wasn't so much of a case of not trusting him. It was more of a case of not trusting how it would affect our tactics because Emerson is a defensive flank player. He's not a right wing back. He's a right back. I think anyone would admit that, though he he did play very well, in my opinion. Mm. And Doherty has only just found form after a year and a half by playing his best position in the system that suits him. So moving him to the left when he doesn't have much use of his left foot. I think that's fairly fair to say. I think it threatened to make us very narrow against the sides that were absolutely compacting their defence. And in the first half, that transpired to be the case. We couldn't create, for all our possession, we couldn't create a thing. I think we must have Mm. had over 70% possession that first half, but we didn't actually create a thing. And I felt that that may be in part due to that tactic. But Mm. whatever happened to put a rocket up them to make them play a bit more expansively to help pull Newcastle out of shape a little bit more worked because the second half you would have never thought that Doherty wasn't actually a specialised inverted yeah. wing back I think is what they used to call Philippe Lam. That that was what he was playing like. <laughs> yeah. He was playing like uh, the left wing back version of Lam or Cancelo. Yeah exactly. And, I uh, love it. He's been compared to Roberto Carlos and Philippe Lam in the space of weeks after being well, talked about as an outcast with no hope at Spurs. Look at this. What well, a I lovely story. I could be happy of him because <laughs> yeah, I was, I was very fun. happy when we got him. And mm. then I couldn't believe that the player I was watching was the same player that I'd seen cause us severe problems as yeah. a Wolves player. Scored against and us. Exactly. And mm. I will be the first to admit that I thought, yeah, this guy, he's 29 years old. He's He was suited to the system Wolves were playing. And that mm. was that. But maybe we're playing a better version of that system, which is bringing out a better version of him now because he's been brilliant the last few weeks. And, and that's a big part of what's allowed us to play mm. as well as we have done lately, because as we know, wingbacks are so important to Conte's system. I must admit, I didn't realise this, but apparently he has actually played on the left for Ireland a few times, which obviously goes some way to explaining why he's not completely out of position there. But but no, absolutely credit to him. And there's just something I wanted to ask you about. You made a really interesting point that I've not really seen anyone else pick up on. And you kind of touched on it a second ago, saying there was that thing that put a rocket up our team and spurred us on. And when we talked about this after the match on your way home, you said you think that the fight that happened, the big kind of handbags that broke out with Joel Linton and Benton Kerr that started it all, that kind of seemed to be the catalyst for Spurs coming in after the halftime break to actually change their mentality and fight for it a bit more. Absolutely. It absolutely put a rocket up our players, in my opinion. I think we definitely didn't deserve to go behind, but our equaliser at the same time was not the sort of equaliser you expect from Spurs, a header from across, (laughs) scored by Ben Davies. Ben Davies, of all people. So it was an unlikely goal, a good goal, but an unlikely goal that got us back level. And then that incident happened, and then Paratici started sort of losing his head in the tunnel and threatened to put horses' heads in people beds and all that kind of thing <laughs> and uh we come out in the second half and we just hit newcastle so hard and so fast that mm. 
I don't think they knew what hit them because that first 15 minutes of the second half, we absolutely blew them away and it was game over to the yeah. extent that they brought on a centre-back for a striker at 4-1 down did. to try and shut up shop. To avoid the embarrassment, to avoid record-breaking defeats. Yeah, I, I did notice that. That was a bit strange, but I suppose that just shows how dominant we were at that point. Let's talk about some of the goals. Let's go through in order. Let's talk about their goal first. Obviously, it's a lot easier to just brush it under the rug when we ended up scoring five and winning comfortably, but... Who do you put the blame on there? Do you think Loris should have done better? Do you think it was an unnecessary tackle from Son? Do you think it was a bit of both? I still can't figure out. I still can't figure out if there was a bit of a deflection, to tell you the truth. I've watched that goal so many times. And the trajectory of the ball just looks so strange. It seems to bend when it's getting very close to Loris. And he does see it a bit late. Mm. However... I definitely think a bit like De Gea the other day, there's a little bit of weak mm. wrists about it and he should be turning that past the post. I think yeah. he was a little bit slow to react there. And yeah. he, it's funny, he had such a wonderful first half of the season and in the second half of the season that we've been playing better, he's had a bit of inconsistency creeping. Maybe he just needs more shots against him. Maybe he needs our defence <laughs> to give him more work and more practice. Now, I must admit, I, I didn't see a deflection or anything like that. I think he, he definitely did see it late. But when is a keeper not going to see a shot late from a free mm. kick? You'd expect him to say he's he's saved more difficult shots than that, or at least shots that are further away from him than that in the past. So maybe he could have done better. I did actually think Son was a needless challenge. Hoiberg was there ready to kind of mop up if he wasn't going to get there anyway. So it seemed like a bit of a, a reckless challenge to make on the edge of our own box. But what I loved about it was his role in our equaliser, actually. Obviously, the cross he put in for the header was a lovely cross, but we've kind of come to expect that from Son. But it was the taking the game by the scruff of the neck mentality that we saw from him because moments after essentially his mistake was a big part of the goal we conceded he just kind of got the ball ran up the field took on a few players and won that corner and then you know he just sort of got angry almost and put the ball in for the the corner and it's just I think some of the best players you see doing that I always think whenever I watch Mo Salah and he loses the ball he sprints back and he tries to get the ball back he's almost angry that it's not gone the way he wants it to and I saw that in Son so that was nice to see but nice goal all round right? It was and I think you're absolutely right I think Son knew he'd made a mistake that had cost us and he took it upon himself to actually and this isn't something you really associate with him but maybe this season we should be he took it upon himself to get us back into it and atone and do you know what I've always had a mindset that I don't want players to smile when they're on the football pitch unless they're celebrating mm. a goal pretty much I want them to play with fire and anger I yeah. want them to I want them to be angry when it's not when not winning exactly. I mean, if you watch tennis and this might be a bit of a funny comparison for you but if you watch Nadal and Federer and Djokovic and oh, uh, more, more so recently angry. players yeah they, they hate losing even yeah. one point they slam yeah. their tennis rackets they berate themselves there was a mm. Cypriot tennis player that we're both uh, obviously followed closely called Marcus Baghdadis who was supremely talented he was so good he took the first set off of Federer in the Australian Open final and the commentators were saying that he'd given Federer a tennis masterclass and then (laughs) Federer came back and did what Federer did and blew him absolutely away and Baghdadis was almost smiling and admiring Federer instead of fighting back and he was the sort of player that made mistakes and then smiled about it and I hate that in the sportsman Uh, I mean 
when Ian the ball Walker, bobbled over. I was about to name yeah. him. Uh, yeah, against Liverpool, that yeah. McManaman shot that divoted in front of him and completely sort of dumbfounded his hands because he wasn't watching the ball properly. Like, you don't want to see that. You want these guys to be angry. Winners are never, ever, ever joyful and whimsical about mistakes. And I think Son really displayed that. So I really like to see it. And I think that's a bit of Conte coming out as well. I think you're seeing a lot of yeah. Conte's personality being translated through the players at the moment. Absolutely. There's one man who I rarely across the years have enjoyed seeing smile, but right now I'm seeing him looking very happy sitting on the bench as I watch the Palace Arsenal <laughs> game, and that is Patrick Vieira, who started have just taken a 2-0 lead, and I know I saw you celebrating as I was speaking a minute ago just yeah. as the goal went in, so that is looking very nice for us. Obviously only 25 minutes gone, but it's 2-0 to Palace at home against Arsenal, so that would be a huge result for us, so we'll, we'll keep that up on that. That was a lovely strike from Ayu with his left as well. I, I don't just know if you saw the replay it, of that. I missed the, I must admit, I didn't see the opener, but I'm sure I, I watch it all later on but yeah, yeah. As, as whoever's listening to this we will either be fourth or fifth uh, depending on how this has gone but as it stands we're, we're quietly confident that uh, Arsenal aren't going to catch us in this game at least so let's see how that goes fingers crossed um, mm. back to our game we talked about the, the equaliser so the second half it just kind of exploded didn't it and it's a nice problem to have trying to remember who scored the goals and in what order but talk me through it and we'll go through the goals well I absolutely loved our winner Harry Kane put in such a peach of a cross to Doherty and it was a, oh, the goal for two a nice one, sort mean. of uh, yeah yeah well yeah. in my mind that's the winner it's the that's goal the, that wins yeah. the game and okay. uh, yeah. and Harry Kane's cross from the right hand side it was the sort that Ericsson used to do for Deli Alley it's the sort that you see Kevin De Bruyne pull out his backside all the time yeah and it was absolutely David lovely David Beckham too and they were talking about it on Match of the Day and they said that Harry Kane was actually aiming for Son and it's lucky Son didn't touch it because it got to Doherty that was yeah. 100% meant for Doherty Doherty called for it from about 20 yards away from goal and started mm. darting into the box and Kane put that ball exactly where Doherty was going to end up he knew exactly what he was doing this wasn't uh, putting it into the danger zone cross this was yeah. uh, my players making a run the defenders are going to be marking Son so let's go for Doherty and yeah. what a lovely lovely goal it was and it says everything about both players and the general method there is to our play now that we were mm. able to pull off a goal like that because we are definitely not scoring that goal in the first half of the season that's the thing when a player is that good at playing a pass or playing a cross they're not just hitting it into a zone are they they are aiming for a specific player whenever you hear the likes of say David Beckham talk about their playing days they actually had a man in mind they weren't thinking I'm just going to get it in there and hope someone gets ahead on it I could do that you know that's exactly. not that difficult you know maybe if it's a corner different story but if there's two or three men in the box like you're aiming for a specific man and Kane you've seen it with the passes he played in just that game let alone the last few games he can put a ball on a sixpence his passing is that good and I love later on in the game when the game was pretty much dead and buried I mentioned it in the group there was a moment where Kane just hit this beautiful Hollywood crossfield pass over to maybe it was Son and Jamie Carragher just laughed he didn't have any more <laughs> words he just laughed and said like look at this guy this is ridiculous how is he this good? That um, is how you know a player is yeah. world class when he does things that make you laugh. That's how Messi used, Messi to, does used to make me feel. Um, yeah. yeah, this is Kane. Like I said the other day, it's Kane 3.0. I think Harry <laughs> Kane has now become the number 10, to tell you the truth. I genuinely do, based on these recent yeah. performances. But at number 10, that will still score an incredible amount of goals. So Shearer's record isn't safe just yet. But it really was lovely to watch. And, and the thing is, 
he has played that pass, and not just him, other players, Hoiberg as well, actually, and Doherty, when he's been on the right, have played that cross towards the far post in the last few games anyway for someone to meet low down. Uh, yeah. And Regulon's been the one getting towards the end of them, mm. and he's had a couple of misses, as you'll know, and scored one goal too from Kulusevski's cross. So it's not as if this is just a by-chance situation. Yeah. We want whoever our left wing-back is to run towards the far post. And the fact that it was Kane crossing on this occasion meant that all Doherty had to do was time his run perfectly. What I will say is that the quality of the run also makes the pass a lot of the time. It's kind mm. of both. And and often the passer of the ball forces the runner to make the run by putting the ball where he wants the runner to run to. Yeah. But, it's an understanding, isn't what, it? It is, Developed and that's what Hoddle used to do. Yeah. Absolutely. But in this case, I think Doherty calling for it and bombing forward very mm. much made it as well. So I give him just as much credit for him getting there as I do to Kane for actually putting that ball in. Yeah, it's an exciting prospect, isn't it? A person in that position who actually has the scoring touch because you think you've got Kane drifting out into that kind of Metzala right side of the channel to put balls in from there. You've obviously got Kulisevsky putting in some great crosses with both feet. And then whoever's playing at right wing back, if you can get someone in that position putting the ball in, then that could be pretty deadly, really. Absolutely. So while we're on Kane, I mean, we're going to go through to the other goals and he had a hand in pretty much all of them. I think Carragher gave him man of the match. There were quite a few contenders for man of the match and we're going to go through some of our other good performers. But while we're on Kane, do you agree? Do you think he was the best player on the pitch? It's almost weird when he isn't. Kane did the things on the pitch that were the hardest to do. Mm. And he was orchestrating. So it feels almost banal not to say he was the man <laughs> of the match. But it's harsh on I some think, of the others. I think Son's performance was so, so good. I think yeah. this was the Son that got us the goals, but contributed throughout the way that we've been begging him to for a long time. I think Kulusevski was absolute class again. I'm not saying he was the mm. best player on the pitch, but he was class again. I think Benton Court was absolutely lovely to watch. It was one of those games where he was actually not at his most eye-catching, and yet everything he did improved yeah. our play, both off Great the ball and making. on the ball. Hoybier, um, mm. likewise, I thought, really excelled. I mean, our third goal, the song goal, was very much because Hoybier, we built up from the back from the goalkeeper, Hoybier actually fizzed a pass into Kulusevski, and Kulusevski, having the great touch he has, just cushioned it to Kane to then play back over the top for him. Yeah. Now, Hoybier could have played the easy pass there, which was a two-yard pass, sideways to Emerson but instead he chose to play it to Kulusevski who was marked at the time and trust that his forwards was going to be able to do something with it and that is something that is so dangerous when you actually start playing brave passes like that into marked players and give them the responsibility for being able to deal with a defender as opposed Mm. to just always go for the guy who isn't marked that's how you catch teams out and take note Harry Wings Exactly. And Hoiberg really deserves a hell of a lot of credit for that. So mm. so fair play to him. But my man of the match was actually Romero, uh, who we yeah. touched on earlier and said yeah. we'd absolutely have to talk about him. Wherever I looked, Romero was there. I saw him make <laughs> Both a tackle up on our left wing. So the other team sort of right back position at one yeah. point and then dart back to right centre back. He was winning the ball in midfield. He was bringing it forward down the right flank. He he was so, so good. And mm. his control and passing under pressure was lovely as well. He intercepted hard hits crosses, much like I just praised Kulusevski for his ability to just yeah. cushion and kill a ball dead. Romero was doing that in his own box. 
box and just bring it forward. It was yeah. so, so good to see. And I just, I love watching a centre-back who brings that much to the game. And I really think that we're on to one of our best centre-backs at the moment. I don't mm. see it being very long before we talk about him in the same breath as we spoke about the two Belgians, uh, yeah. if, if he's not already there, to tell you the truth. Yeah, it's almost like out of respect for those two, you want to make sure he's been there a bit longer before you start making those comparisons. Pretty but much, yeah. He, performances-wise, he, he's there. And, and every single match now, it seems like Twitter is just full of praise for him. And it's easy to get carried away because of the, the hyperbole that comes with whenever we find a good player and, and that people like him, you start seeing comparisons saying he's the best player in the league and he's the best defender in the world and all this stuff. But you can only judge what's there in front of you. And there was one moment that kind of encapsulated his performance for me. And it was the lead up to, I think, Emerson's goal. Because mm. it all actually started, not for the first time this season by a long shot. It all started with one of his interceptions in the box. He ran across, he read a pass really well. He won the ball, just like you described. Brilliant first touch, killed the ball dead, took it out of defense, played a couple of one-twos. And then by the time the goal actually went in, he was in the box. It was like we just had a corner. He was just waiting there. He'd made a run forward. He played a couple of one-twos. And it was a lovely move. And we probably put together about 20 passes before that went in, which I don't think was really picked up on in the commentary. But he was just everywhere on the pitch. And he always is. And it's crazy. He doesn't seem to be caught out of position as much as he should with the way he plays as well which obviously speaks to his anticipation and his game reading. Absolutely. And much like I said about Benton recently with the way he brings the ball out of defence with a bit of skill, at some point it will probably catch Romero out and we mm -hmm. just need to remember the amount of times something good happens from him playing his very sort of low percentage, high ambition, high reward yeah. style that when it does catch us out, it will be worth it for the amount of times that it led to something good. A bit like Lloris. He used to, he doesn't anymore because he's 35 now, yeah. 36. But he used to thing. absolutely dart off his line. He was yeah. the original sweeper-keeper in this league long before yeah. Edison and Allison came along. And he used mm. to absolutely come out and win the ball sort of 20, 30 yards from his own goal line. And it was fantastic yeah. to watch. And once every sort of 30 times he'd get caught out and he'd get rounded and someone would score or he'd actually take someone down and maybe even get sent off, I think happened against yeah. a European opponent and you could forgive him it. This yeah. is what Romero does so well. It'll be 30 successes before there's a failure because he's so mm. good at it. And he, that's the thing. People think it's just sort of a really aggressive, really kind of eyes shut way of playing. It isn't. His reading of the game is so, mm. so good. It's unbelievable. He, he's like the anti-Davinson and, uh, and I love watching it. I feel like he could almost play defensive midfield. Obviously, it's not I mean, that easy to transition, he but he's got the is. attributes for it. Yeah. He kind of is. He's kind of playing centre-back and midfielder at the mm. same time. I mean, he's kind of playing centre-back, midfielder and forward at the same time. We joke about Harry Kane playing every position on the pitch. Romero yeah. kind of is as well. <laughs> I'll tell football. you what, yeah. when Romero gets a goal for us that he knows something about, he is going to get such mm. a big cheer from the crowd. It will be, it'll raise the roof, I bet you. I feel like if there's a blueprint for kind of the ultimate version of what he is, the type of defender he is, I mean, we can talk about Van Dykes and Ledley Kings, but for me, he's more of a Sergio Ramos, if anything. That's probably probably more in the aggression as well and in his likelihood <laughs> to get the occasional card, which, you know, you take the good with the bad, like you say. But I feel like that's sort of what he's 
that's the trajectory he's on. Obviously, hey, high comparison. You'll remember what I said to you about Ramos 10, 15 years ago. I told you that whatever position he had decided to play on the pitch, he would have been one of the best in the world. Yeah, and a team of Ramoses. Exactly. And mm. you could almost feel that with Romero as well. I mean, I think that's a really, really good comparison for you, actually. I mm. think Romero has got so much about him. If we, in emergency, needed him to play as a fullback or a wingback, he'd probably do that pretty well as well. He's just such a natural footballer and he's got pace and he's got strength and aggression and he's got that sort of build that makes it really, really hard to ever kind of come out on top against him in a physical battle. And and I just think that if this is his first season and he's 23, because remember, centre-backs hit their peaks when they're nearly 30. So if this Mm. is him at 23, I really can't wait for what's to come. Absolutely. No, we've, we've done some good business. And you mentioned Bensinker as well. Obviously, just another game. Bensinker never really seems to have a bad game, which is what you need from that sort of position. He just seems to be, at the very least, good every single game. And I just, even if he's not doing anything spectacular, you just trust him. I'm just calm whenever the ball arrives at him. It's a horrible overused cliche, but he has time on the ball. You know, the same way as you see someone like, I'll bring him up again, Van Dyke. When the ball was rolling to Van Dyke, you're like, ah, Virgil's got this. He's not going to mess this up. And he might, but there's a sense that he's got it under control. And I feel like it's a different position, but I feel like there's a bit of that with Benson Kerr where it doesn't matter what the situation is, doesn't matter how many players are closing in on him, if he's being pressed, if he's tied up against the line, if the ball's coming at him at pace, you're like, he's going to make the right decision. And like you say, what what happens in the head is so important in football. and, And that's arguably his best attribute decision-making. I'd say so, but he's also very athletic as well. He's really rangy, which I always Mm. like in a midfielder. I like a midfielder who can control something that seems to be two, three feet away from their foot at the time that they control it. I I, I really... Did you compare him to Berbatov last time? Almost like a midfield (laughs) version of Berbatov. Yeah, I just... No higher praise. I mean, that, that's maybe going a bit far because that was an exceptionally gifted individual. And I think Bentoncourt is good. I think hmm. in terms of technique, that's even though he's got good technique, I don't think he's a 10 out of 10. He's not sort of an Iniesta or a Xavi or a Luka Modric or, or even yeah. a Michael Carrick. But I think his blend of skill set lends itself so perfectly to that position because he is capable of doing everything at an 8 out of 10 level. Like, people said that, oh, we've just signed a Uruguayan Harry Winks. What we've signed is the player that we wish <laughs> Harry Winks was. Um, yeah. I think that's a much fairer way of describing yeah. him. And I'm Harry not trying Winks to against take Real Madrid at Harry Winks. Every game. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And this isn't me trying to take pot shots against a player I don't rate in the slightest. And I'm just trying to sort of paint how much of an improvement to our midfield Bentoncourt has been. And it may also be just he was the right player for this system. And in another system, he wouldn't look as good. We don't know. But the truth is, we don't need to know. We just need to know what he does for us. And for us, it's really, really good. It's really, really pleasing. Yeah, no, no arguments there. Uh, I think we talked about four of our goals, haven't we? The only one we've not really gone into was Bergwijn. So that was two subs combining, which is nice to see. We talk about the importance of squad depth. Maybe that is the level for both of these guys, but as long as they're happy with it, nice goal, right? I thought so. Very good work from Lucas in particular. So Lucas, such a frustrating player because he's got the ability to do that, which makes you want him to do it all the time. And if he did, he'd be in the first team at the moment. But I think the fact that they both came on and affected the game really, really shows that we have a bit more depth than people realise. Okay, we've got five forwards Mm. for six positions in terms of experience, and it would be nice to have six. But at the same time, you've got to 
think these guys are getting so little game time as it is that what would be the point in another at this moment? All right, we're not in any cup competition, so that's part of it. If we were, then yeah. the, the matches would be shared a bit more. I think Lucas has such a great attitude that he's almost the perfect squad player for us. Yeah. And you he, feel like he's, he's happy probably, coming off the bench or doing yeah, his and, part. And maybe only starting sort of 10 league games a season or something like yeah. that, rotating in to protect others from getting burnt out. Bergwijn, mm. I think there's another gear to Bergwijn that will only be brought out of him by playing consistently yeah. in someone's first. I mean, he's good enough to be someone's first choice forward. He's a good player. Yeah, and he's a absolutely. good player in this league, in my opinion, as well. So I would mm. love us selfishly to keep him. But he's in this funny place. And it was such a lovely finish as well. It really was. But he's in this funny place where he's more than good enough to be our kind of first off the bench player, our sort of fourth forward, as it were. But at the same time, he's not quite good enough to think we can rotate this guy in for Son, for Kane, for Kulusevski. He's not quite good enough for that. And that's no big disservice because those are all three mm. very good players. Who knows? Maybe if he got that game time, he would be that good. But then you look mm. at how quickly Kulusevski has adapted compared to the two and a half, well, sorry, the two years that Bergwijn's been here. And, yeah. and you've got to you've got to doubt that. Two years? No, yeah, two years. We signed yeah. him in January if, 2020. If you count the years. We don't write yeah, those off. So, yeah. So I I just think that right now, if he's playing this way and he ends up becoming a very reliable sort of, he becomes our Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he becomes our super sub option, then great. But yeah. if he's not going to be content with that, then I think he's got mm. three years left on his contract in the summer. We are looking at a decent fee from him, potentially from a Premier League club as well. Mm. I imagine he'd improve a lot of teams in this league that are going to have a bit of money to spend. Newcastle. Newcastle, for instance. Maybe this is what allows us to get someone who is potentially able to really challenge Son and Kulusevski and Kane for a starting spot. Mm. He's put himself in the shop window a little bit, hasn't he? We talked about his international performances the other day. Obviously, he's looking like he's going to be part of the World Cup setup. I mean, he should um, be. Yeah, I imagine he will be. And obviously, he's doing the business when he's coming on for us. And I think the other thing about that is at least it keeps our regulars on their toes, right? If you're Kulusevsky, yeah, you'd like to think he's humble enough to think, I'm not untouchable. I need to keep performing because look at who's waiting in the wings to take my place if I have a couple of bad games. And that that's not something we've always had. We talked about our lack of goals from anywhere other than Son and Kane. So it's lovely to see that, especially with three goals coming from our defenders <laughs> as well, if you count those guys as defenders, which was interesting. And I think the other thing is that the Ginola was in the studio for Sky Sports and he was saying that you know, this kind of thing, other players scoring their first goals, it's just going to build momentum in terms of, he was saying that there's going to be banter in the dressing room and everyone's going to be like, oh, well done, Davies, you actually scored a goal and well done, Emerson, <laughs> you actually scored and it just gets everyone's confidence up. And obviously it goes without saying that a big 5-1 win is going to be good. But if that was a 5-1 win when it was just Son and Kane scoring the goals, it wouldn't have had anywhere near the same kind of pats on morale, I'd imagine, as this has had. And that's what makes me so- confident. Five different players scored, different players assisted. Two players got one of each in Doherty and Son. So that means that we had eight different players out of the 
13 outfield players that played for us mm. involved in a goal directly somehow and, and that's really really good that shows that our play is varied and we know our play is varied from the West Ham game with the goals we scored then as well that shows that we have more than sort of one way to skin a cat and a yeah. lot of our goals recently have been sort of on the counter running in behind the lines yeah. and we weren't doing that here these were goals against a packed defence these were goals against a deep lying side and mm. they were goals that came as a Right, the Kulazewski assist for Son, we got in behind yeah. them. But our first goal was very much getting people into good positions and putting accurate mm. crosses into the box. Same with goal number two, same with goal number four, the Emerson goal. Um, yeah. I think goal number five, Newcastle, had pretty much given up by then. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're showing that we actually have an answer to the pack defence, which, mm. you know what? I can't remember the last time I saw that at Spurs. That was one of our biggest problems, wasn't it? We talked about it so many times on this podcast alone that it was getting a bit tedious that every single week is how do we get past a team that sits back? How do we break down a low block? And we're, we're, we're figuring out how to do that. Well, that's maybe why the answer we lost is to Burnley. Having, yeah, exactly. Maybe that's the key, just having a team that everyone is a threat. So you can't just double up on Kane and so on. And you actually have to worry about all the different ways we can attack and be a bit more unpredictable. Um, it's interesting you mentioned uh, Son scoring and assisting because I've got to do a graphic here, which is quite interesting. Since the start of the 2016-17 season, this is a table of games in which you've got an assist and a goal. And Mo Salah is actually top with yeah. 23 games in which he's got a goal and an assist. Hmm. Um, good reason why he's been my FPL captain pretty much for the last three years. Uh, the second is actually Son with 20, hmm. and then Harry Kane, one behind him in 19, which probably won't come as a huge surprise, but it's, ni- it's nice to see the stats backing that up, isn't it? So obviously, great stuff. And another stat that's worth bragging about is that we've actually got the most goals in 2022 in the Premier League. Who I mean, thought that at the beginning the of the season? Yeah. We are creating a ton of chances, we so that talk doesn't about surprise anymore. me. <laughs> I don't even know what our XG is. Who cares? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Absolutely. Who does care? And Certainly not you. It just makes you think, what if we'd got Conte in the summer? What if we'd agreed something mm. with him then instead of started the season with Nuno? Or what if, well, I'm not saying what if as if there's a real chance he's going to leave, but what's next season going to look like? Got to get you excited about next year. Absolutely, it does. Whether um, or not we're in the top four. We've got to back the man. We absolutely mm. have to back him. But yeah, I'm already getting excited about next season. And I didn't think I'd be saying this a few games ago. Maybe I'm just another fickle football fan. Who knows? But I, I hope <laughs> after the amount of years I've been going, I've earned the right to express disappointment when things are rubbish. And they were yeah. rubbish in very recent history. And yet it doesn't feel like recent history at the moment. Well, you were prophesizing our defeats upon us going 1-0 down. So uh, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe maybe you are prone to a little bit of an emotional change of mind, but who isn't, let's be fair. Um, going back to Harry Kane quickly, the man who no less than David Ginola compared to Diego Maradona in the Sky Sports studio after the game, which was particularly <laughs> entertaining. Some more excellent stats about him. In 2022, since the beginning of the year, he has the most goals, the most assists, the most shots, the most shots on target, and the most successful through balls. He's the best player in the league right now, isn't he? Yes, absolutely. No two ways about it. And he's actually just been rightly rewarded with his record equaling seventh player of the month trophy, joint with Sergio Aguero. So uh, pretty special stuff. Right, well, on the Newcastle games, we've talked about all the goals. We've, we've singled out quite a few players. Are there any other players, do you think, that are worth a little bit more of uh, a song and dance? There wasn't really any bad performances. You know, you said that everyone did their job 
couple of hairy moments from Hugo potentially. But do you think we've covered all the the players that need I mean, their own section? We, we we've pretty much mentioned everyone at this point. Yeah. I, I think just continual praise for Eric Dyer, who doesn't get yeah. the plaudits for doing a very very good job. Definitely better than Harry Maguire. Yep. Definitely want to say how nice it was to see Ben Davies get a goal because you know what? Mm. Even though I think... He deserves it. Yeah, he does. And even though he's a player that I think we can upgrade on, he's still a player I like a lot because he's given us absolutely nothing but commitment. This is his eighth season at the club and he fought his way into the team past Danny Rose Mm. and Danny Rose's peak years. He's really been patient. He's really always given everything. He's a good footballer. He's clever as well. And he's one of the leaders at the club as well. And Mm. I really, really think that he deserves to get a bit of recognition because he very rarely lets you down. He does occasionally. Who doesn't? But he may not catch the eye the way Romero does, but he is someone that has served us really, really well. And I was happy to see him get his goal. And Emerson, much like Doherty, has copped a lot of flack, maybe even more flack. And he just swung his foot out, didn't know much about it, and the ball hit the back (laughs) of the net. And I'm really, really happy Uh, with him because you know what? We need better than Emerson in our sides. But once again, he is someone who's been subjected to a vicious amount of vitriol from our Mm. fan base this season and he doesn't deserve it it's not his fault he signed to be a defensive right back for Nuno and now he's having to try and adapt to become an attacking wing back for Conte yeah the guy doesn't deserve that and you'd think by now Spurs fans would learn their lesson about prematurely writing off a 22 year old who's struggling in his first season after (laughs) signing from abroad I mean Son Modric and so many others like may- mm. maybe just have a bit of patience guys well Kulusevski was written off after his first 20 minutes wasn't he so yeah exactly C- I can't mean say Kulusevski I'm was written off before his first 20 minutes he <laughs> yeah. was written off from that's almost we more understandable yeah, yeah, no, exactly. No, we, we definitely need a bit of patience. And that, that'll work wonders for him as well, Emerson. I mean, I know that's not his job to score goals primarily, but even something as silly as that, he'll probably go into the next game strutting a little bit, thinking, oh, you know what? I'm okay. The fans don't hate me right now. I think I can do a job here. So, you know, let's hope if and when he's called upon and we need him. And we are going to need him again. I think we, hmm. we've still got injury problems on, on the left in particular. So we're probably going to need him in that position for the upcoming games. So let's hope he can pick up where he left off. I did want to just quickly raise, and I'm sure you'll have something to say about this. Newcastle are a dirty bunch, aren't they? Especially that Dan Byrne. He was uh, a horrible player to watch. Absolute huge, humongous lump throwing his weight around like a big bully on the playground. I'm amazed he stayed in the pitch, to be honest, through a number of incidents. I said on Twitter, um, I didn't realise that. Newcastle had already sacked Eddie Howe and rehired <laughs> Sam Allardyce the way they were playing. It was, it was just yeah. not fun to watch. Mm. I really took pleasure in us dismantling them because they came out with nothing in their, and so surprising from an Eddie Howe side as well, nothing in their mindset other than to ruin, basically. And Mm. and that's that's not what Newcastle fans should want to see, never mind what we want to see against an opposition side. If I was a Newcastle fan, 52,000 in that stadium every week or something like that, that club is the lifeblood of that part of the world. They've put some serious money into the side recently. They've got some good, able, technical players. All right, Trippier didn't play, but like Trippier, like St. Maximan, like John Joe Shelby, who, yes, he's also a bit of a thug, but he is a talented footballer don't play like that try and actually make the most of the good things about you not come and try and 
ruin the spectacle because to tell you the truth if Newcastle had given us a game you never know we might have still beaten them 5-1 but they Mm. might have actually unnerved us and sort of got us jittery against a side that we often slip up against so so no I I really wasn't impressed with them at all yeah the only thing that was frightening about them was the injury risk to our players basically Mm. wasn't it no I must admit I I don't normally feel this kind of vindictive towards opponents when we're four or five goals up but I want wanted more I wanted to humiliate them by the end of the game I was like you know what they deserve if this is seven I won't feel bad for them they, they deserve yeah, it exactly. you almost sometimes want the ref to blow the final whistle just to you know put them out of their misery but no not on this occasion I weren't the first team to kick lumps out of us and I'm sure they won't be the last but let, let's talk about our next opponent shall we we'll talk about Aston Villa so Aston Villa I, I almost reluctant to say this they're coming off the back of three straight defeats as it happens but that doesn't really mm. paint the whole picture does it because under Gerard, they have looked like a reinvented team and they've got a couple of players who are performing really well in particular and they have had some tough fixtures. What do you make of Villa this season, particularly under Steven Gerrard? Um, so they obviously started the season poorly under yeah. Dean Smith, who is now doing a very good job of taking Norwich down as well. Mm, um, indeed. I think they have played some good football under Gerrard. They've definitely had a resurgence. Coutinho started off well before sort of tailing off ever so slightly and they have a lot of good players in and around their side Watkins Danny Ings uh, I'm a big fan of Matty Cash but they, Mm. they have tailed off a little bit lately okay West Ham, Arsenal, Wolves are all sides that we're competing with uh, for kind of fourth to seventh, fourth to eighth. I'm hoping it's becoming more of fourth and fifth for us now. We -hmm. have been in and amongst West Ham and Wolves in recent weeks and behind both of them as recently a couple of weeks ago. So so these are good sides that have beaten Aston Villa recently. And you're right, it doesn't really tell the whole story. But at Mm. the same time, it feels like they're maybe not on the beach, but they're potentially getting closer to the beach. And I'm hesitant to say that just because of the fact that we are about to play them. And that's the sort of thing that's likely to blow up in my face. But we are getting to that point of the season where teams do begin to think, well, what is there really for us to play for now? And it's been a slog of a season for them with the change of manager with COVID issues with a team that's sort of been at the bare bones at points because they do play every single match pretty much the same guys as well they don't have a deep squad so there might just be a bit of fatigue in there they're on 36 points it's probably going to be enough to stay up this season let's be honest you can't see Watford, Burnley and Norwich getting a win between them in their final kind of 30 games between them never mind Mm. each getting wins so I think Villa might have begun to peter out. I hope they have because that would make for a very nice Saturday for us. But they do have dangerous players and I don't want to be too presumptuous ahead of the time. I mean, just before this run of three defeats, I think they had four straight wins wins. as well. I think it was three, yeah, three in a row. It was three because they lost to nil as well. Big, big they results. They beat Brighton 2-0. They beat Southampton yeah. 4-0. They won yeah. 3-0 away to lead. So mm. they have actually yeah. had some really good results in recent history as well. And and if you look at their sides, once again, Ings, Coutinho, Watkins, good players. Louise in midfield seems to have been a decent buy. I've got a lot of time mm. for, for John McGinn. Young Jacob yeah. Ramsey seems a really a good season. player. Yeah. Absolutely. We know Martinez in goal is a really, really good player. We know that uh, Matty Cash is good. 
Tyron mm. Mings, England's international. Luca Dini has been a great player for, for so many years in the Premier League. Like mm. They've got some really good players. Even their bench, they've got players like Buendia and Ashley Young and Leon Bailey who can cause you problems. So, so yeah. I'm not going to get ahead of myself. However... Much as I said, ahead of all our recent fixtures where I was singing their praises about what they can do to hurt us, I would still be disappointed yep. with anything other than a win against a side who we would not take one of their players into ours. Absolutely. And we said the same thing about Brighton, I think, in terms of them being kind of borderline on the beach, as it were, and they're only a couple of places below them, pretty similar points tally. And looking at it now, they are a good 14 points clear of relegation with no real aspirations of getting anywhere above them and maybe those results actually play into that maybe they actually back up that idea if they they won all those games and they got safe and now they're even if it's slightly inadvertently subconsciously taking their foot off the gas a bit it does seem like they are starting to go down to third fourth gear let's hope that's the case anyway absolutely but then you could say look at crystal palace tonight and what they're doing and uh, <laughs> yeah the pressure's and- off on the other hand isn't it you know they can just go for it maybe that's absolutely. what it is we were talking about this earlier actually that was one thing that i was a bit nervous about we looked at our last couple of fixtures and it's worth mentioning now that the arsenal game has been confirmed it's going to be our third from last game is that right yeah yeah so i mean in the last couple of games you look at them and i think it's nor is it norwich and burnley or it's, it's two of the teams oh, it's burnley that are right. and norwich burnley home yeah. and norwich away is the last two so it's really going to depend what kind of game we can expect out of them on whether it's a done deal by then i think i imagine norwich they're almost mathematically down already if not aren't they so you'd imagine by the time we play them they will have very little to go for. But that's going to play a big part, I think, in how the race for the top four plays out, You know where these teams are and what they're fighting for in their respective positions by the time we play them. I think looking at sort of the end of season, I think both Burnley and Norwich will be down by the time we play them, to tell you the truth. Well, Even if hopefully. they weren't, I'd expect us to beat them anyway. I mean, Burnley home and Norwich away, you couldn't want for two nicer last two fixtures. I just still want to stick to what I've done the last few weeks and just say one game at a time, one game at a time, because <laughs> that media you know training's what? paying off. Well, it's serving us well as a yeah. club. We we have taken things one game at a time. Like Conte said, it's been every match is a cup final and that's reflecting in the way the club is playing at the moment. I mean, mm. we, we won five out of six games in the league and three on the trot. That's really, yeah. really good, good form. I mean, yeah. before I mean Conte that, himself was saying it would be a miracle for Spurs to get into the top four. We thought that sounds a little bit hyperbolic, but we are pulling out not miraculous results, but the kind of form that is basically championship winning form over the last several games, really, in terms of the results and the number of goals we're scoring. And if we keep it up, we deserve to get a fourth. Well, yeah. I mean, if you extrapolate five wins out of six <laughs> yeah. across an entire yeah, then, season, you're yeah. setting a Premier League points you're, record. Exactly. And goals uh, record. Yeah. But, uh, it's I not mean, quite yeah, that simple, unfortunately, of, is it? It isn't that simple. But mm. it's not as if we've had an easy run lately either. Brighton away is a hard game. West Ham at home, apart from the fact that this is a good West Ham team this season and it's their cup final that's a tough game <laughs> Manchester City yeah. away is a hard game yeah. alright uh, then there's been a couple of simpler ones in there as well like Leeds away which we won Burnley away which we lost Everton at home which we won but it's not as if mm. we've had a straight run of simple fixtures far from it and besides yeah. this is the Premier League exactly two months ago we lost at home to Southampton or, or just under two months ago we lost at home to Southampton and then away yeah. to Wolves in consecutive games exactly so 
so yeah. you can't rest on your laurels and mm. winning and being better than the opposition every single time is mm. a really really great thing and the truth of the matter is in our last six Premier League games, we have been the better team every time, including the Manchester mm. United game. It's just that Manchester United was the one game that Cristiano Ronaldo remembered. Yep. He is Cristiano Ronaldo and <laughs> turned it on, basically. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think one game at a time is definitely a good mentality. And it's one thing for us to say, but it's important for the players to take mm. that approach as well. That being said, it's almost impossible to ignore your rivals. And I think you have to get to a point in the season where you start looking at the table. I mean, I know you're always looking at the table, but there's always this mentality of we're a big club, we're focusing on ourselves, we're looking at our games, it's ours to win, we've got to win the games. At what point in the season do you start paying really close attention to the teams around us and what they're doing? Like today, for example, us keeping an eye on Crystal Palace. Do you think now is the time to actually be concerned with what our rivals are doing and what games they have coming up? And do you think the players will be thinking that way? I absolutely have been, basically since we appointed Conte. But unfortunately we went through the spell that we went through every Mm. time it looked like we were on the cusp of really achieving something when we had all those games in hand and we could have gone forth with games in hand still to play and then we'd mess it up every single time Mm. when that kept happening it just made me forget about it and just think all right let's not look at the table let's just hope i think i might have even said it on this podcast i might have just said Mm. i'm just gonna enjoy each game for what it is and i'm looking forward to next season now i'm no longer looking forward to next season i'm looking forward to the rest of this season and a big part of that has to involve keeping an eye on your rivals and yeah mm. I've been watching Palace against Arsenal right now Wolf Zahar's trying to dance his way through the Arsenal defence <laughs> and, and failing I, um, I think you're a few seconds ahead um, of me as usual I'm not yeah, quite I'm there yet I'm doing minute by minute yeah yeah um, well look I mean at the risk of absolutely jinxing it we all know Arsenal are fully capable of turning this around but at the time of recording they are 2-0 down into the second half if this stays this way and Arsenal lose this game it's back in our hands isn't it and that's huge for the players because yeah we have to beat Arsenal but it's at home and we've said many times player for player we should have enough to give them a game and it's over to us now you know not to mention the momentum the fact that they're going to be you know the pressures on them that's got to be a big thing for the players if they see this result go the way it looks like it is going they're going to be heading into the next game are you more worried about complacency now or do you think that's going to give the players a boost I think that of all the teams in contention for fourth the one, because of who our manager is, that will be hardest to knock out of fourth once they're in it, is us. Now, mm. if this result stays as it is and we are ahead of Arsenal on goal difference, then yeah. all we need to do is match Arsenal result for results for the rest of the season. Yeah. And we've got our game at home to them. They may win their other game in hand away to Chelsea, who knows, or even Mm. get a point and then move a point or three points ahead of them and then still lose to us in that match at the Spurs Stadium and we end up above them again on goal difference with those very nice, kind final two fixtures that I described. However, wouldn't it it be typical Spurs for us to do all that, (laughs) beat Arsenal, be ahead of them by right and then lose to Burnley and Norwich? This is my very point though, okay? Typical Spurs wouldn't have beaten some Newcastle because that was the perfect game. You know, a couple of results. Chelsea had just thought, okay, maybe it's a bit ambitious to be looking at Chelsea, but results were starting to go our way. It was a chance to go, albeit temporarily, into fourth spot. How many times in the past would we have bottled that game? And we didn't. Not even close. Okay, maybe close could be conceded. But that's exactly my point. We seem to have a mental fortitude that makes me perhaps naively think that if it's there for the taking and it's in our hands 
then we can do it. In the last two years, I Do I need to come back down to earth? No, no, not at all. I mean, (laughs) what's the point in being a football fan if you can't get excited when things are going well? Uh, Hmm. In the last two years... Our season would be over, basically. Uh, at yeah. this point, we would be looking at fifth or sixth at best, maybe seventh. We would have not beaten mm. Newcastle yesterday, and and that would be that. So, no, yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right to look at what we are doing now and, and be hopeful. And, and like I keep saying, it's not just the fact that we're winning these games against sides that we should be beating. It's the fact that we are absolutely outplaying them newcastle Mm. west ham brighton manchester united everton and leeds these are the score lines reflecting that as well exactly outplay your opponent and then not win or just scrape a win exactly we're winning on xg and real g we've scored three goals plus in four of those games and Mm. two in the other two so most goals in the year yeah. Outstanding stuff. It's worth mentioning as well. It's a bit of a minefield to start looking at game for game and, and trying to predict the future. But on paper, Arsenal do have a tougher run in. Sure, they've got the extra game and they've got to come to our ground as well. But they've got, I think, four of the current top eight to play, whereas we only have two, one of which being each other, of course. I know we've got to go to Anfield, which we could almost write off. But we've definitely got the better games over Arsenal. Are you still a little bit worried? Because I don't want to be disrespectful to the other teams in the running, but are you still a little bit worried about either West Ham or Man United or even Wolves at this point? No, because what we've done is the thing that you don't ever really see happening. And we've reversed mm. the trends of our overall season form coming into the final running and we're finishing strong. That's what we've done. Yeah. Now, West Ham, Wolves and Manchester United have had very similar form to us throughout the season. One team reversing three quarters of a season worth of trends to finish strongly is one thing, but all of them doing it, it's unlikely. Maybe one of those sides, maybe Man United because they have the best players or or West Ham because they have the best manager maybe, will also mm. put together a run. But yeah. I think when you take everything into account, when you take into account the run we have, the manager we've got, and the fact that in Kane and Son, we have the two best players of any of the clubs competing for fourth. And that's a big Mm. deal. I think when you look at that, you, you have to think it's unlikely that we'll get sort of bitten in the bum by these other sides who have also been hugely inconsistent. Arsenal are the ones that we need to worry about. Uh, Palace have a free kick at the moment, which I'm hoping they will score. Arsenal oh, are the we ones go. we need to Some worry about. Updates. Then, uh, Your language is considerably better this week, Elio, I have to say. Well, I don't know if it's because I'm we a lot won. happier this week, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and no one's brought up Danny Rose. Well, actually, you did, but we've certainly <laughs> moved past that. <laughs> have Palace scored their free kick? Give me an update because you're they ahead of me. They haven't taken it yet. They haven't taken it. Okay. Um, okay. it it's, it's just on the edge of the D, a little bit to the right. It's one of those where you're not sure if it should go to a right footer or a left footer. Uh, Would it be professional if we celebrate this in the middle of our podcast? It's already borderline unprofessional that we're pretty much stopping halfway through to watch a game, but I'm okay with it. Let's just see this free kick. I've got a good feeling. Oh, no, very easy, very soft for the goalkeeper. Never mind. Oh, well, the the minutes are ticking down. The minutes are ticking down, but we're (laughs) getting there. Well, look, I mean, it's looking pretty good and we've got not that many games left. So obviously the next one we do will be after the Villa game and hopefully this game will have finished the way it has and we'll be one step closer to seeing how it's going to line up for the Arsenal game. You're kind of dreading that Arsenal game, aren't you? 
Absolutely. Haven't I always said I don't <laughs> want Arsenal in the cup final? <laughs> yeah, I understand, to be honest with you. There's a small part of me that would be excited about it. It's a bit like if England get Germany in the World Cup. It's like you'd rather they got someone a bit easier, but it's just, it's, it's been more exciting. But I totally get where you're coming from. Fantastic. Well, look, if you're listening, please get in touch with us. As always, you know where we are. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're at Plus Dave Podcasts. You can email us at plusdavepodcast at gmail.com. And please just, you know, let us know any thoughts. There's, there's no real criteria we're always keen to hear from you you know we, we don't have a huge following on twitter I'm, I'm sorry to say although it is growing um but get in there now while we're relatively small so that there's a very good chance we're actually going to read your tweets and probably read them out so you know let, let us know and get in touch and, and on that note Eddie, i've got, I've got something here which you'll be quite entertained by as a, a long-time listener who's listened to most of our episodes now and that's uh, a gentleman named charles charles stewart who i know you're familiar with we were talking earlier and he sent the following message about you when I mentioned that we're going to be having a very heliocentric episode given that it's just the two of us on the show today. And, and this made me laugh. He says, Elio's analysis of football really makes me wonder if we're right to have all the pundits be ex-players, given he is the second worst footballer I have ever seen and he could out-analyze most of them. I'm assuming there's some sort of inverse correlation at play. <laughs> I then went on to suggest that maybe we should put together a graph mapping players' ex-playing ability against their punditry ability. And he suggested we call that the Piliotis-Owen scale. I think that's a sensational <laughs> idea. Um, what do you have to say for yourself, Elio? I, that I, distinctly I, backhanded compliment. I mean, I, I, I'm very well aware of how bad I am as a footballer. It, it's a sad thing, but uh, sadly very true. Uh, I think even if I was fitter than I am, I'd still be just as bad. So it's not even a fitness issue. It's just uh, I am useless issue. I, I'm very intrigued <laughs> to know who the worst footballer he's ever seen play I, football I is. I did press and I won't, I won't name it, although I suspect you have an idea, but I can confirm he wasn't talking about me. So I'm happy. <laughs> but uh, it is for, someone for context, we know very well. This is somebody with whom I played in a five-a-side team for many years and, and he had to suffer my lack of ability and, and occasionally let me bring in some ringers in the form of Elio and some others, which uh, had mixed results, shall we say, to be kind. But, but luckily, Elio is a much more natural podcaster and pundit. So uh, we, we have the, the I'm not sure I'm a natural podcaster given the amount that I swear, but I, I, I hope that I <laughs> at least Not a natural live podcaster. Sky well, yeah. Sports might have to give you a few test runs, uh, iron out the creases a little bit, but <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Well, look, as listeners will know, we normally end the show with what we call Challenge Elio, which will have to take a slightly different format this week, although it will be going ahead, fear not. I know Charles is a big fan of this portion of the show, and this is our trivia section of the show, which normally involves me pitting the other guests against Elio. You could argue that I should pit myself against Elio this time, but I know too well, and I know that it was a bad idea, and that will end terribly for me. So instead, I'm just going to quite simply challenge you, Elio, and I'm going to ask you a few questions and see how you get on. I've got one spurs related but also quite internationally themed question for you slash challenge and then as always i've got a who am i game for you which is quite an interesting one this week i'm curious to see how that's going to go but but uh, following on from last week's slightly international theme of course we have now had the draw for the world cup which i for one am very excited about mm. now that i know how that's all going to play out and who's got what, what groups so following on from that that has been the inspiration for this question what i would like you to try and do is to see if you can name all of our current or ex-players who have played in 2022 for a Qatar World Cup team. And by that, I mean a team that has already qualified or may still qualify. So there are, to my understanding, 19 of them. I'm almost certain I've missed one. 
And I'll be very impressed if you can find the one I've missed. Current or ex players who has played for current or ex players who yeah who have played this year. So in other words, who are reasonably likely to maybe play at the World Cup for one of the teams that has qualified or is in the playoffs and still may qualify. Okay, so, we're so yeah. just I won't to, tell you which the teams are. Just to you know, say, just keep keep the challenge element open. So you need to I'm remember not allowed who's actually look, qualified. I'm not allowed to look at a list of the teams that are at the World Cup. Then, hmm. If the answer is no, about, the answer is no. How about you no. see? How about you see how well you do without it, and then if you're struggling, that can be your uh, your clue. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll, I believe there are I'll 19. And so, if you say one that has just missed the boat, like someone who played at the end of last year, I will let you know if they were close because there are a few that are. So you might be tempted 19 to say 19 players in 2022 mm. who have played for a team who are going to be at the 2022 World Cup. Who are or could be? Yeah. Who so, for example, okay. you yeah, cannot uh, say Golini. <laughs> yes, I, I, under, I understand that yep. part. So, okay. Any so ideas? I'm just going to start with obvious ones first and work through okay. there. Let's so, have the obvious ones. Harry Kane. <laughs> Here we go. Maybe the most obvious one. Of course, Harry Kane for England. Harry Kane. How systematically are you doing this? Are you going to stay with, with nations or are you going to work around our I team? I haven't decided yet. Hugo Lloris. Hugo Lloris, of course. In the France squad. Ben Davies. Correct. Joe Rodon. Correct. Gareth Bale. <laughs> of course. Correct. Matt Doherty. No. He played for Ireland the other day. Oh, yeah, but God, not in Obviously, it. yeah. They, yeah. You know what? I You can keep I, going. I yeah. got my um, home nations mixed up ever so slightly, and I was thinking yep. Scotland when I should have been thinking. Yep, oh, they are that's, still in the that playoffs. That is atrocious. Yes, but I don't think we've got a Scotsman in this, so that's we do not. Nor do we have an ex-Scotman. Scotman? Yeah. That's not a word. Scotman. That is not yep. a word. Luka Modric. Luka Modric is correct. Croatia have qualified. So how many is that now? Have you got five? Three, four, five, six. Five or six. Three Welshmen: Larice Kane and. You're doing well. You're doing Modric. well. Played this year for... It's not a penalty shootout concept this week, well, so I'd already be you're allowed a few was, blips. So. Yeah, exactly. You're allowed um, a few blips. I'm just curious to see how long it takes you. Romero? Yes. Are we including our players who are currently on loan or not? Yes, I believe so. Lo One way or the other. Whether we're loaning them or loaning them out. Yeah. Lo is correct. Um, and that might have been a clue there, by the way. Juan Foyth? Correct. I wasn't sure you were going to get that one. Somehow he's in the Argentina team. I think he starts for them as well. He does. He's their best right back. Um, yeah. Did Ivory Coast qualify or not? Serge Aurier. <laughs> no. Good guess. He, qualify. he would have. He would have qualified. Yeah. He he has played for them recently, of course. Okay. Against England. But no, they um, did not. Oh, Kyle Walker-Peters. Kyle Walker-Peters. Correct. From England again. Walker-Peters. And Kyle Walker. No, Kyle Walker does not qualify for he these purposes. He has not played for he, England this year. He has not played this year. He wasn't in the last squad. He hasn't played since. And I wrote oh, this wow. one down because it was a borderline oh, God, one we've since only November. Had the one round. We've only had the one round of internationals this year. So. Yeah, he, he last so. played in November. Uh, okay. So not to say he'll, he won't necessarily. I still expect him to probably be in the World Cup squad, if mm. I'm honest. But for these purposes, he does not count. Okay, that's interesting. So I've got one, two, three, four. I'm on ten. You wrote so. now? Yeah, okay, yeah. So you're over halfway. I'm on ten. Um, it's a good question, actually. Uh, it really is. I, like I mean, it's hard one. enough just remembering which teams have qualified, let alone who we've had. Happen. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
I know the Netherlands have qualified, but have we had a player appear for the Netherlands? Vincent Janssen? There's lower hanging fruit than that, Elio. Am I being we really talked about him right today? Now? Am I being no, really maybe. stupid right now? We talked I... about him today. Oh, Bergwijn, Jesus. Bergwijn. I've been banging them in left, right and centre. Uh, no, there's no Vincent Janssen. There's no Vincent Janssen, but there is Bergwijn. Um, there is Bergwijn. There's obviously going to be both Christian Eriksen and Pierre-Emile Hoybier. Very good. They Eriksen. are both there. Hoybier. Could be a, a shout for second team at the World Cup right there. Well, actually, there's a few shouts for that based on this. Emerson did not go away with Brazil the other day. He did play for Brazil last year, but he didn't go away the other day because he was in Spurs training. I'm pretty sure of that. He has, however, played this year for Brazil. In 22? I think they I think they had a different round of games. So he was on my list. Oh, okay. In that so I'll case, give you I'll Emerson. take that. I'll take that. Um, I might be mistaken, but... You don't mind if you get it, if you get it right because of my mistake. You only I mind don't. when you get it wrong because of my mistake. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we have one, two, three, four, five. I've got five left. To go. Five yeah. to go. There's one really tricky one that you obviously you will know. In fact, there's a couple of tricky ones, I think. I'll be surprised if they're not the last two that you think of. Put it that way. I really can't imagine that he got called up by France at this point. But just in case... Sissoko. No, but I think the last time he played was at the Euros, actually, or okay. in the squad. No, he, he was quite a way out. All right. Um, Toby Alderweireld? No, but he wasn't far off. November 21 was the last time he played. Oh, was Vertonghen in the last squad? He was not. He's played with Toby the last God, time in November 21. Could be Belgians. the end of an era. It could, could be, be the end, end of an, of an era. era. I'd be surprised if at least one of them isn't in the squad, though. It could just be that, you know, we want the experience and the camp kind of thing. But maybe they're trying to Slide, draw a line under that whole generation. both of them. Nasser Chadley, yeah. did he go away with Belgium? Uh, he did not. I did look right. him up. So that's all the no, Belgium. he played even, even further ago. Okay, okay. Yeah. This is, this is really tough. Is, uh, I don't think... Bro, I think Brian Hill has only played for the kids' team for Spain. He's only played for the under-21s. Yeah, yeah. he's only played for the under twenty. Oh, Oh no, Sweden haven't qualified, have they? No, so they haven't. They haven't qualified. Um, no. This would have been it, a good penalty shootout game, actually. Is DeAndre had we Edlin had one more person? In, is DeAndre Edlin playing for America these days? He is. Very okay. good. That's a good one. That that's yeah, that's one of the trickier ones. Okay. DeAndre Yedlin. So I don't De- know if he starts. I don't know how much they play him. Have we I don't know had, much about the US team, to be honest? Have we had any Mexicans? lately i don't believe we have only because i think the first game of the world well the <laughs> yeah. argentina mexico game is a really exciting early yeah, game they're definitely in the world there. cup um i did have to check when Giovanni dos santos <laughs> retired <laughs> it's worth mentioning mexico actually because mexico is as it's come up is our latest listener country mm-hmm. so uh potentially geo dos santos could be uh somewhere on the bench for plus dave fc oh, america so welcome whoever you are listening from mexico if you're still here Thank you for uh, for joining us. America, Cameron Carter-Vickers. Great guess, but he has not played this year. He played oh, last dear. year. Oh. He has not been in the most recent squads. Oh dear. Davinson Sanchez? He is not there, and I can only assume that is because... They haven't, they haven't qualified. qualified. Rodrigo Bentoncourt? He is there. Very good. You get points for that one. Three more to go, and I think Yedlin was one of the harder ones based on what you said. Trippy has been injured, so I don't think he played for England at all, did he? Um, Not since October. Yeah. 
In fact, his absence is a big reason why Carl Walker-Peters got a go, I believe. Um, yeah. So you've just got two left. No, three, three left. Yeah. There's a pretty obvious one, and then the other two are rather niche. Son Kingmin. Yep, that's the pretty obvious one. Pretty safe to say if he's fit, he'll make the career team. Mm. The other two are rather niche. Let me mm. ask you, have Cameroon qualified for the World Cup? Um, They have. In that case, Clinton NG? I don't have him down. However, I haven't checked. I'm going to be honest. So I'm going to check the Cameroon squad now. Um, for Clinton NG? Because that's not a name that would have crossed my mind until you mentioned it. I'd be very impressed. It, w- it, would, it would be typical if you managed to get one that I hadn't even found. Let me have a look. But keep thinking in the meantime. Yeah, right now I'm just trying to rack yeah. my brains for Spurs players generally. I feel like we've got to the point now where where listeners expect slash want me to make a mistake. It's part of the fun. It's like watching Jerry Springer. You're waiting for them to get into a fight. You don't actually want to listen to them talking. Mm. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to players. think who we cleared out last time. Who did you say? Clinton and G? Yeah, Clinton and G. How confident are you of this one? I mean, I don't know if he's ever even made it into the Cameroon <laughs> squads or not for a long time no. at least, but... He's not in the most recent squad and in terms of players... Oh! Oh! What? Hang on. Oh, no. no. He played at the 2021 AFCON. Oh, okay. Okay, so played... it wasn't actually the so most... So that's not a terrible guess by any means, yeah. <laughs> but I haven't uh. put him in my honourable mentions close call where I should have done. So great guess. <laughs> Almost worth a point, I would say. Almost at the point, but yeah. not quite. Um, so I, I could tell you the nations if you're ready for some clues. I could no, tell no, you the no. nations. They won't, I want to they won't immediately give bits. them away. Okay. So the final two are both niche, you say? I would define them as niche for different reasons. So I was going through Spurs players and ex-Spurs players. Now I'm just trying yeah. to remember who's Who you haven't the covered in terms of nations. Yeah. Exactly. Um... Let's I see. want to bring you back to your loans question earlier. Think about that. Don't tell me Ndombele's got a game for France. No. Okay, Thankfully, I, I, I they would have at least I 18 have, better players than him in that position. I, I would have completely given up on, on football altogether. <laughs> if... Well, this is the team that played Sissoko in a European final, let's not forget. Well, if we're going back to loans, is it the kid that we've got on loan at Metz, uh, Pape Sar? It may be. It is okay, indeed. He is in the Senegal national Sar. team. Very okay. good. Which leaves us with one, which is... I need, I'm going to check how many games he played for us, just as a clue, because it's not many. <laughs> I had to double-check this one. Don't tell me Adele Tarad is still playing for Morocco. No, but that's a great guess. And he did play until very recently. He was in a 2021 squad. Okay. But no, it was not him. Great guess, though. No, this is somebody who made a grand total of five appearances for Tottenham Hotspur. Five appearances. In 2008 to 2009. Oh, wow. Uh, this is like that, a, that, an early who am I practice round this one, isn't it? 2008, 2009. Five I could well have made this the who am I. Oh, God. That, that suggests maybe someone we had on loan or that, that was... We sent him out on loan and then it looks like we sold him to the team we loaned him to. I'll okay, give you a no, clue. No, no, plays... no, that's a no lot more of clues? clues. No more clues. That, okay. That's a lot okay. of clues. This isn't the who am I for what it's worth. We're going to add another one of these afterwards, <laughs> which might be easier than this, to be honest. Oh, this is this is definitely a tough one. Um, hmm. Meanwhile, it's 72 minutes into the Palace-Arsenal game and the score is still 2-0. 
So looking good on that side. Ooh, there's actually a penalty shout by the looks of it. Zaha's just been pretty clearly hacked down in the box. I don't know if it's going to VAR. Uh, it was given. Was it? Yeah. It hasn't been taken yet, according to my screen, but it was given. <laughs> this could be going oh, over. Give me another clue. Uh, I was about to give you a clue, and I've already forgotten what it was going to be. Um, the we, other clue... So, um, 0809, so Harry Redknapp. Yeah, the other era. clue was going to be... He's not the only Spurs or ex-Spurs player representing his nation. Okay, so we've said him already as well. You've said one of his compatriots already, okay. at least one. So Chris Gunter. Correct, very good. I thought good. him earlier, but I thought that he might <laughs> be a bit too Gunter. old for it. Yeah, I'm almost certain there will be more because I didn't really perform an exhaustive search. I just kind of went through them and, and just did my best to keep an eye out for anyone. And I, obviously there were a few that came close. You mentioned most of them, to be fair. We had obviously Adele Tarat, who was playing as recently as September 2021. Cameron Carter-Vickers, Yamba Tonga, Toby Aldevarad, and then Aurea. Uh, Walker and Trippier. And then Aurea, yeah, well, well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they didn't actually qualify. Um, so yeah, very well done, I would say. You made a couple of mistakes, but you did a lot better than I would have done it that way. And uh, I think it's safe to say that Dave or Joe or whoever would have been up against you would have had their work cut out this week. Right. Speaking of which, should we play Dave's favorite game now? Should we do a bit of <laughs> Who Am I to round things off? Well, this I'm, is I'm the always... game that I lose most often, so this could go on for well, a while. You did lose it last week to Joe, which we were talking about earlier before we started mm. recording. Joe did brilliantly to work out. That's um, why he's not Teddy here Sheringham today. He's going out on the <laughs> Yeah, you, you pulled some strings. You were like, oh, I'm going to teach you to show me up on our podcast. He finally remembered something about Spurs. <laughs> some shots being fired today. Joe's not going to be happy with this. All right, well, let's see how you do running unopposed with no competition even though you will suggest that you have no competition most weeks but we'll see how you get on for this week's who am i as always i'm going to read out the clues and the clues will relate to a former or current spurs player uh, and i'm going to try and go from generic to more specific and mm. with each clue see if you can figure out which player i'm talking about and i'm always been nervous with these because i'm always worried i've made them either too easy or too hard it's very difficult to manufacture a good level of difficulty because the more fun clues tend to be the ones that you're just will give it away immediately. You'll either just know it because you'll just know that very weird thing mm. or you won't. But anyway, we'll see how we get along. So clue number one, I am six foot one. Ket has a guess, Ellie. I feel like you do because you just, you love trying to get these on the basis of virtually nothing. Um, Six foot one, eh? I'm mm-hmm. going to go with... This is the most nervous I get every week, this moment, where I think you're going to ruin the game. I'm going to go with Ledley King. No, it's not Ledley King. I have 15 international caps. It's probably not far off, mm. sadly. Jamie Redknapp. No, it is not Jamie Redknapp. Across my ribs, I have tattooed in Chinese the words for clan, health, love, success, and trust. Across his ribs. Or at least that's what he hopes is written across his ribs. So I'm writing down pretentious, <laughs> tattoos, ribs. Yeah. What does he have across his ribs again? The Chinese words for clan, health, love, success, and trust. You might as well be live, laugh, love. Sissoko. No, he's got much no. more than 15 caps. And Dombele. <laughs> no, it's, it is neither. Um, following on with the pretentious flashy clues. While at Tottenham... I once bought three cars in one day. A Lamborghini, a Hummer, and a Cadillac. 
And I, Jesus, what a... <laughs> this is painting quite the picture of this gentleman, what, isn't it? What a prat. Um, <laughs> There's clue for one, AJ. Three cars in one day. A Lamborghini, mm. a Hummer and what? And a Cadillac. And that was while he was quite at the Spurs. Spread. That was while he was at Spurs in a single day. I don't think David Bentley was that tall or had that many caps for England, but... I'm doesn't go really with... sound like Harry Kane, does it? Yeah, I'm going to go with David Bentley. No, it's not David Bentley. I have won the title in two of Europe's big five leagues. Okay. Bit more of a footballing clue there. So those leagues being France, Germany, Spain, Italy, and England. Yeah. Two of Europe's... Big five leagues, 15 international caps. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think what champions we've had. Um, Given that it doesn't bounce back over to anyone else, shall I give you some more clues? No, I want to have a guess. No <laughs> you just don't want to get in as few as possible. Exactly. Um, mm. that, that is exactly what I want to do. This is like Spurs wanting a fifth against Newcastle when four was plenty. <laughs> Kevin Prince boating. That is the right answer. Very good. Kevin Prince Boateng, which is probably becoming very clear now you think back across some of those clues, right? Yeah. Um, the other clues, going from the most kind of boring to the most Kevin Prince Boateng is basically, if Deli Ali had started taking drugs as a 16-year-old, what would have happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, I was born in Berlin, was one of the clues. I was saving up, maybe for the end. I have played for one other English club. Can you remember which one that was? Uh, no. I believe, I haven't written this down, I believe it was Portsmouth he played for. Oh yeah, he did. We learned him. Yeah. He's played for a lot of clubs. Yeah. I almost made a clue of how many clubs he's played for. I think for. he's gone to China. He, he won yeah. these with AC Milan and Barcelona. That is right, I believe. Yeah, mm. definitely AC Milan because one of the other clues was... I did he win the league with AC Milan? Yeah, and he was in the Serie A team of the year as well, believe it okay. or not. Um, this clue, I reckon you would have got it from this because I think you would have probably remembered this happening. But I once performed a Michael Jackson dance routine in front of a packed football stadium of 88,000 spectators. If I, you haven't seen this video, look it up. It's, it's genuinely scarily good. Like, I it's, do not it's, it's a bit like he's obviously probably needed to spend a bit more time on his football because his Michael Jackson dancing and moonwalk is pretty impeccable. And he does it in front of a crowded, packed San Zero when they won the league. I think it was a kind of Gary Lineker type, if we win the league, I'll do this kind of thing. So Very funny, but yeah. Kevin Prince Boating is mm. once again the epitome of why you should never ever ever get excited about a player off of a youtube, YouTube. clip before you sign him <laughs> he's in the gregor raziak bucket of the one <laughs> youtube clip of him made him look like a genius and i don't think i've ever seen a more immobile footballer at spurs i actually think tom mm. huddleston had a quicker turning <laughs> circle than Kevin Prince Boateng. I actually think that Michael Dawson would be able to spin Kevin Prince Boateng. Mm. Like when I was I, looking for clues for him, I found a lot of quotes from various ex-players and managers, basically saying he had the talent to be one of the best in the world and just you know spend his whole life partying. Which well, I find hard to believe based on his has, outings for us. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, I mean, his is it his half brother or is it his full brother? I, I think know they're full brothers. He it's is just half. That they cho- German, I think they're four brothers, but they chose different nations. Yeah. One basically, yeah, I think that's right. The one that was good enough chose Germany. The one that wasn't chose. <laughs> that chose tells you what Ghana, you need to it? know. 
Yeah. Yeah, and they, and they they also obviously this would have given it away as a clue, but I think they made history in playing each other for different nations at the World that Cup I as do well, remember. which is a pretty that, cool, pretty cool stat. Cool. But yeah, he he actually did represent Germany under twenty one level, so yeah, that does make sense that they were they were full brothers. Um, I once reimbursed a fan their fee for a paid fantasy football league after leaving my club when he had selected me in his team and messaged me on Twitter. <laughs> I just wanted to get that in there because I think that's quite funny. Um, I signed for Spurs from Hertha Berlin. Might have given it away a little bit there. And that's yeah. it. Those are all my clues about Kevin Prince Burting. Well, um, I'm a, fairly a story glad of what could that have been. I got that in five clues, three of which mm. were tattoos and cars and yeah. one, two big leagues. Like You just I, thought, who are the biggest wankers who have ever played for Spurs? Let me start whittling this down. Was that pretty much how it went? Well, in terms of winning a couple of big leagues, it was either him or Paulinho at that point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. actually, that would have made sense with the Chinese words as well, because didn't he play in China as well? Yeah. He's playing in China or something. He's one I looked up. He hasn't made any recent Brazil squads, you'll be happy to hear, because I thought maybe he'd, he'd have been in the reckoning. He always seemed to do unnaturally well on the international stage. Um, Another one we got unnecessarily excited about, hmm. I remember, I actually off of didn't. YouTube. It's just that the reports about him were comparing uh, him to Frank Lampard, so I thought, yeah, yeah, we've got a player here. And then we just got this guy who seemed to get himself deliberately mm. marked so that he wouldn't have to touch the ball. I mean... <laughs> Remember what we used to call him? Our nickname for him? Yeah, Paulinhas, because he was the Paulinas. Brazilian Jermaine Genus. And that's really actually unfair to Jermaine Genus, who... Incidentally, Jermaine Genus is the man that Charles gave as an example of someone who would go slap bang in the middle of the Piliotis Owen scale. Oh, yeah. As a bang average footballer and bang average pundit. <laughs> 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 I like that. Uh, I, I think this scale needs to be created now. Um, it could be some good social media. It would definitely get people talking, wouldn't it? It would be loads and loads of players mm. and then me at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, on the top end of one scale and then the bottom of the other, yeah. We would have to have like, you and Owen at opposite ends. But, the Piliotis um, Owen scale, I like yeah. that. I mean, Charles has essentially just called me, if I'm the opposite of Michael Owen, the greatest football pundit of all time. I mean, I'm almost certain he would not choose those particular words. However, no, he that's has how certainly I'm implied it. it. That I'm sure I know. I'm, absolutely. I think if there's one thing you've got in common with Michael Owen, it is your self-confidence, mm-hmm. that's for sure. Dave um, Jones, speaking don't of need Twitter, actually. <laughs> this was your plan all along wasn't it Elliot this is your plan all along this is why you've not missed a single episode um, speaking of Twitter just following off our episode last week that if you listen to we did a big discussion all around what it means to be a Spurs legend and who qualifies just for a bit of fun and we put out a few tweets to get people to vote on this based on a few of the more contentious ones we obviously didn't mm. bother with Jimmy Greaves and Glenn Hoddle because it's a stupid question but just to give a, a couple of responses here from the polls that have played out I did Harry vote no on every single one by the way I assumed you would have done yeah so these are all carried by Elio's individual vote dragging them down that little bit Harry Redknapp did not make the grade he had 56% no Peter Crouch is 57% no Son Hyun Min admittedly this was posted right after the Newcastle mm. win which might have skewed results a little bit he had an 88% yes vote as a Spurs <laughs> legend would you believe look at that fantastic you know work what from I Son. accept why people would call him a legend because he's done more for Spurs than probably quite a few players that I would call mm. a Spurs legend. So in fairness... His story's not written yet. That's the I'm thing. I'm probably... Ru- I, I, I don't like giving that kind of status to a current player. I don't. I think he'll be looked upon as legends, but I don't want to call a current player a legend. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. Because they can always and, break you know. your heart. Soul bloody Campbell. 
we all know that Human Son never misses an episode of the Plus Dave podcast, so we don't want to get his confidence up before the crucial run of the season, don't we? Um, Teddy Sheringham, interestingly, was a 50-50 split, as was Gary Lineker. This one will... <laughs> I, mean, I should say this one for last. Danny Rose, Elio. I think I 45%, know this. <laughs> 45% said he is not a Spurs legend. 55% said he is. That just suggests I wonder to me how that many 50... of those people listened to your well, response to him last week. That says to me that a good 55% of our fans did not watch <laughs> football before 2010, basically. I should probably stop reading these out before you alienate our entire listener base, but we'll keep going. Jürgen Klinsmann, young 74, 74% to Jürgen Klinsmann saying, yes, he is a Spurs legend. Mauricio Pochettino with an overwhelming so, 65%. Wait, Gary Lineker was 50-50. Yes. And Gary Lineker was 50-50. Klinsmann was overwhelmingly yes. <laughs> I, I mean, mean, I love who, Klinsmann. Who knows? And as a human being, knows? I prefer Klinsmann, and I have more of an affinity with Jurgen Klinsmann. But Gary mm. Lineker was ridiculously good for us. I mean, this isn't the most scientific of tests, is it? Let's be honest. Lucas Mora, thanks in no small part to, I imagine, one particular game, has a 53% winning margin, and he is officially, for these purposes, a Spurs legend. Eric Lamella, unfortunately, I threw him in there for a bit of fun. He got a 77% no vote on, on him. Luka Modric, even more resounding no with 88%, so that's reflecting what you said. And Jermaine Defoe had a 78% yes vote as a Spurs legend. Probably skewed a little bit due to the fact that he's, he's just retired. And finally... Just to throw this one in there, because this was quite funny. And a quick shout out to uh, Jeanette Jensen. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. It might be Jensen, who I believe is a a Danish follower who hijacked our Christian Eriksen vote on this. She has significantly more followers than us, about 7,000 in total. She shared our Eriksen vote and pretty much uh, guaranteed a Christian Eriksen win with a pretty spectacular 91% yes vote as a Spurs legend. So there it is. You can't really argue with that. And well done, uh, Jeanette, being a Spurs for getting involved there legend either for the same reasons as Son but he, he has far more claim to it than a lot of players that did get I mean I like the almost every single player that was mentioned there I really do yeah. but but this Jesus is the there's no right answer we you can't argue we said last week didn't we there there's is no a right, right answer, answer to this. it's whatever I say <laughs> That should be the tagline to our podcast. Anyway, I think that is probably a good point to wrap things up on if there ever has been one. So Elio, thanks for picking up the extra airtime from Joe and Dave. I hope you've enjoyed our most Elio per minute episode of all time so far. World's greatest pundits. You heard it here There you go, official. I mean, if those Twitter votes are the official determiners of who's a Spurs legend, then Charles's review definitely asserts you as the best pundit on the internet and on the world. Fantastic. Well, look, to everyone who's listened, thanks so much, as always. And, and like I said earlier, we're getting a really good following internationally. And we're getting more and more people following us on Twitter. And it's always good to have you guys interact with us. And as long as you're being nice, and even if you're not, just for a bit of fun, get in touch with us, Plus Day Podcast on Twitter and at Plus Day Podcast on Instagram. And email us at plusdaypodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on the run into the season how you think that's going to go anything about the Newcastle game who you think is a Spurs legend anything you want to talk to us about and we might just get involved with that next week when we'll hopefully have Elio I imagine we'll definitely have Elio and hopefully we'll have Dave and or Joe maybe a couple of surprise guests thrown in for the hell of it as well so we look forward to having as many of you as possible join us then but until then stay classy Spurs fans and we'll see you next week world's greatest pundit (laughs) 